What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Bitcoin and Markets. Good Monday morning. So welcome to another daily live stream. I've been doing these about three or four times a week. I also do a live stream with Bitcoin Magazine called FedWatch, where we talk about Bitcoin and macro and all that. And this show is the basis, I guess, of FedWatch. Uh, FedWatch is a little bit more niche to Federal Reserve stuff, specifically as central banks. But anyway, I am live streaming on YouTube. BTC Market Update is the new channel. It's only a couple months old. The, my last one was terminated, but uh, we are back. I'm also live streaming on Twitter and on Telegram. If you'd like to join the Telegram, it's t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. So today is Monday, and I do write a free newsletter uh, on every Monday goes out, and it's a lot of headlines and kind of a list of all the my recent content. I break it down by sectors in Bitcoin, so I talk about headlines, I talk about mining, price, and lightning, uh, and try try to hit the topics, the big topics for those sections and. Uh, slowly but surely, I'm trying to make this as streamlined as possible. Uh, sometimes when I get writing and get excited, I write a long time and I'm like, hey, well, I should just, uh, you know, put that on a podcast instead of uh, writing so so much. Because a lot of people, when they get all these newsletters out there, they don't um, read the entire newsletter because it gets so long. And especially if they get five, 10 newsletters every week, something like that. Uh, they can't read every single issue. So I've tried to streamline it, make it fast for people uh, to go in and get the main topics that they're interested in. But that's what we're going to do today is just look at the, some of the stuff that I have been writing. So let me go to the back end. This is where all the magic happens. <laughs> I use Ghost Editor or Ghost CMS. And so it's a pretty cool program and it's very easy to write and stuff. So um Anyway, this is the back end, and this is all my content that I've written. Um, okay, headlines. So we had the Augustine Carson's head. He was is the head of the BIS, and I have talked about this on the on the show before, but I'm writing about this. And you know, he said this last week that the battle has been won. A technology doesn't make for trusted money. Of course, talking about quote-unquote crypto, he uses the term crypto. He doesn't use the term Bitcoin. Usually when these types use the term Bitcoin, they say crypto like Bitcoin is a crypto or whatever. And of course, Bitcoin is not crypto. Crypto is not Bitcoin. Uh, everything else is pretty much a scam. Bitcoin is the only thing. Um, and this week also, I, I, I should probably add this to the, to the newsletter, but uh, Gary Gensler has come out once again and said that Bitcoin is the only thing that is not an, an unregistered security. So all of these altcoins are securities except for Bitcoin. And I mean, it's been lumped in. A lot of people have mixed feelings uh, about this because they don't want Bitcoin to be like government money. They don't want the government to actually like Bitcoin. They want to have this be like you know, an anarcho-capitalist type of currency or something like this. But Bitcoin's incentives are aligned so that everybody is going to get on board. So the way I look at this Gary Gensler news is that Bitcoin's incentives have worked on him. And he also is the face of the billionaire class. It has worked on the billionaires. 
as well. So Bitcoin is out there uh, changing hearts and minds. And if it changes a billionaire's mind, you know, why is that different than a middle income person changing their mind? There's actually more incentive for the ultra wealthy to get involved with Bitcoin. If you step across the wrong red line and you're a billionaire, they'll try to take you down. Yes, you have more resources and you can protect yourself more, but still look what it did to Russia. Very, very powerful country, but they still had their assets frozen and now seized. It looks like all the assets that were held in Europe, European banks have been outright seized now. The ones in American banks, I think, are still just frozen, not technically seized. Yeah, so even the most powerful of nation states can be a target of this. And they have even more incentive to adopt Bitcoin. So it just makes sense to me that Gary Gensler represents these billion, this billionaire class and they have incentive. They, they, Bitcoin's incentives work on them too. And so people celebrating Gary Gensler saying this isn't celebrating um, government backing of Bitcoin. It's celebrating that Bitcoin's incentives work on everybody. So anyway, uh, back to this Augustine Carson's. One thing I saw, thought was interesting and uh, somebody pointed this out on Twitter. It was very, very insightful that when was a war declared? You know, they've won the battle. I didn't even know that they admitted we were at war at all or we were, it was a fight. The whole entire time, they, you know, Bitcoin is a plaything. Bitcoin is not a serious threat. But now all of a sudden they've won the battle. When did we start playing? No, but this is a admission that they're scared. I mean, it is an existential threat to them. The, just the terminology that they use. This was a Freudian slip. The battle has been won. They were at war. An existential battle for the future of money. And they think they won. But of course, Bitcoin now is still 10% higher than it was in November prior to the FTX collapse. So Bitcoin even if you measure it from what Augustine Carson says in his article or interview about FTX, even if you measure it from there, Bitcoin is still ahead. So anyway, then I write a little bit about some culture wars in Bitcoin. I don't want to get into that right here. Uh, I do have an ordinal update. <laughs> Here's this chart. And so that comes from dune website i don't know if it's dune.com i don't even know how i found that website but uh i did link to it here let's see dune.com you can see that it peaked back in early february and now has been down ever since have we passed peak nfts on bitcoin i don't think so but it definitely has peaked for now um, when bitcoin reaccelerates, you know bitcoin has the bull market continues we should expect I think uh, NFTs on Bitcoin, inscriptions on Bitcoin to continue higher. But that shows, that goes to show that there's no market outside of pure FOMO, pure fad, you know, pure scams. Because when there's more attention on Bitcoin, then there's going to be more inscriptions. Um, it's not like this is an independent market that is thriving outside of Bitcoin pumping. This is just yet one more data point that points to everything is about price. Price is the only thing that matters in Bitcoin. 
you know, it, we can't have global adoption if price continues to fall, you know, if there, if it is, what is that called? An asymptote when it's like getting closer and closer to zero. If that's how Bitcoin's price behaved, this wouldn't be a thing. No one would buy into Bitcoin because the value is constantly going down. I mean, obviously that would be a different reality because it would have different monetary properties and all that. But price is all that matters for Bitcoin. As price goes up, you get more attention, you get more building, you get more adoption. It's a Veblen good, which makes it extremely uh, interesting to think about because a Veblen good, the demand goes up as price goes up. Usually for almost all items, demand goes down as price goes up, right? The demand curve. Of course, you have elasticity, which is how much does the demand change as price changes? So if demand doesn't change much as price goes up, it's more inelastic. If demand changes a lot as price goes up, then it's more elastic. And some, I don't really like formulas and charts and things in economics, but thinking about demand curves, visualizing them, simple supply and demand, I think is very useful. There are some goods that are not Bitcoin that have backward sloping demand for time for uh, during a certain phase of price because like think of like a rolex you know um, these are luxury items that as the price goes up at least to a certain point demand also goes up rolex probably would sell more rolexes at 5000 than at 500 because it's more of a status symbol it could be the exact same watch and so price and demand they go up together however it that eventually bends back on itself for mo for all other veblen type goods you go up to 5 million you start just running into the ability to pay for that watch is going to lessen demand even though the status symbol might be even higher fewer and fewer people will be able to afford that right and at 5 billion maybe only one person would want to buy it. So you have, eventually you have a back, uh, the demand curve will write itself for all of these other type of luxury items. But for Bitcoin, that doesn't happen. Demand goes up. It continually goes up as price goes up. That's why you get FOMO and you get blow off tops. And then as price drops, demand drops. Uh, you do have a different type of dynamic with Bitcoin. And that is when you have circulation, like the amount of Bitcoin in circulation. So as price goes up, it actually does draw more Bitcoin into circulation because people want to spend that newfound money, right? Like let's say your stack, you have 10 Bitcoin or that'd be a lot, but let's say you have two Bitcoins and as price goes up, like let's say price hits a quarter million you're going to take some of that Bitcoin and buy something with it. I almost guarantee it because of the wealth effect, because of the, uh, you know, more money, you have more disposable income to spend. So you will spend some, most likely. <laughs> it's, it's a rare individual that can forget about their stash of Bitcoin completely and price doesn't affect them at all. Um, so Bitcoin will come back into circulation as price goes up. 
So supply actually increases slightly. And so this back and forth between demand and supply, you know, if you have a, if you have a backward sloping demand curve, it's sloping from bottom left on the chart to top right. Well, what else slopes that way is the supply curve also slopes that way. The more, the higher the price, the more supply comes on the market. So it's, that's a, that's a weird, a weird relationship when you have two two lines and they're both positively sloped, you know, how do they interact as you have shifts in demand and shifts in supply? You can have violent swings. You know, that's why Bitcoin is so volatile because of that dynamic. I don't know. I don't know how I got onto that. Anyway, we have these daily inscriptions and they are falling off for now. But as Bitcoin continues to pump, it should bring more interest into this. Uh, we're going to see layer twos be built. I mean, Stacks is already starting to get more traction. I think they pumped like 200% for their coin, whatever it is, even though that's an unregistered security as well. So don't think that this is like some end-all be-all. There's going to be layer twos on Bitcoin that are unregistered securities because they have their own tokens. So anyway, just warning on that. Uh, but yeah, Stacks is getting more popular and we'll probably see more layer twos built. We'll probably see more uptake on all layer twos, including Lightning and sidechains. Uh, very interesting time. And but this is just a reaction to the bull market and demand coming in, people coming in, wanting to take their tricks that they learned with altcoins and Ethereum onto Bitcoin. So we will have, I think this chart that you're seeing here, this uh, from Dune showing inscriptions actually declining. This is just the initial phase. It probably is going to be uh, quite a bit higher in the future. I also look at fees. Let me bring this chart up. Mempool.space is a very good uh, website here to check the size of the mempool, also checking on fees. And you can see right here, 16 sats per virtual byte or about 52 cents for a fee. And then the median priority fee is 43 cents. We can go to a chart and you can see here on the one month chart, just an explosion in the mempool during the peak of the inscription mania that just started, but it's pretty much back to normal. I posted about this in telegram this morning. It's pretty much back to normal. Okay. Back to the newsletter. Um, I have a macro headline section. And so China's economy is looking at a new wave of Japanification. And when I saw this headline, I was like, hell yes, hell yes. This is confirmation of what I have been saying for years that China is just going to turn into Japan 2.0. I mean, they have two options, either become Japan or become North Korea. And I think this choice is becoming more and more obvious to more and more and more and more people. So it's very interesting. This is a study that came out of Citigroup. So Citigroup analysts declared this week that China today looks strikingly similar to Japan in its post-property bubble era. Between 2010 and 2020, capital formation represented an average of 43% of Chinese GDP growth, 43%. Um, when its bubble burst in 1990, Japan's capital formation proportion was at roughly 36%, and that was considered very high. Japan and China also financed their growth in a similar way. Japan's bubble 
was fueled by indirect financing provided by commercial banks, which were nudged by the authorities to, into funneling soft loans towards uh, favored industrial sectors. Similarly, says Citigroup, China has developed a financial system mainly dependent on indirect financing. It's the same damn thing. The difference is in the form of government. Japan's form of government is quite different than Marxist-Leninist communists, which is what Xi Jinping is. How does a Marxist-Leninist react to Japanification? That's the central question that we must ask. And it's probably not going to be good. All right. Then I wrote about the PCE, and I've talked about this already last week. It was a surprise to the upside. But of course, we hear a lot more now about quote-unquote inflation being persistently higher for longer. But these are the same people that still won't acknowledge that the last six months of 2022 was below 2%. They missed the bandwagon calling peak CPI. They missed the bandwagon calling the last six months of 2022 uh, already returned to normal. And now they have one month of higher CPI and PCE prices, these price indices. And they jump on the bandwagon of, oh my God, we're going to have a reacceleration. I mean, they never got off of their bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, They're still on the same bandwagon, I guess. Anyway, I say this is not inflation due to money printing or credit expansion. There was a small effect, some call it a reacceleration of prices, due to the rally in treasuries. The 10-year, for example, rallied from 4.3 to 3.5%. So as the interest rate goes down, you know, that means bond prices go higher. Now, where who holds a lot of bonds? A lot of treasuries. Banks. Now, so what happens when a bank's asset side of their balance sheet rallies. Well, now they have more assets to liabilities, right? Because the value of their assets are going up. So what can they do? They, they feel flush and they go out and make loans. They, then they expand credit a little bit. But this is not due to money printing in the traditional sense that most people think about it from the Fed or from the government or whatever. This is from banks. Their assets go up in value They feel a little bit more flush. They go out and make loans. But of course, this has a cyclical effect because, sorry, I keep hitting my ring on my desk. Um, This has a cyclical effect because those loans are not sustainable. Okay, they they ease maybe their credit standards a little bit. Uh, Maybe they find different exotic ways to employ new credit. And that new credit is then, it's not as, it's still not as productive. One second. Someone came to the door and my dog started barking. All right. So this new credit that they're expanding because their assets are going up in value is still not productive. It's actually less productive because we have the diminishing marginal revenue product of debt, right? And so it's it will eventually roll back over again. It is just a cyclical extension of this downward trend. And what's going to happen next? Well, let's say the 10-year goes back to 3.5 because it got all the way up to 3.9 now. What if it goes back to 3? Well, their bank's assets are going to be a little bit higher in value. Maybe they'll lend out a little bit more. It'll take a few more months for that to hit the economy. 
and we'll have a quote-unquote secondary reacceleration of CPI. But it, you know, it won't be as high as the last one. And we'll continue going down these road, this road, grinding lower and lower. This is a grind. And what happens at the end? Well, there's some sort of credit event, some sort of financial crisis where things get bailed out. But you can't bail out the ill feeling of doom in society. And I've covered that many times. But anyway, so that I've, I've, that's kind of what I wrote about PCE. Uh, China now is entering the Ukraine conflict. I didn't link a story to this, but this week uh, there was tons of news about China and the potential new involvement in Ukraine. Uh, they've actually said, hey, we want to play mediators. We need to have a ceasefire, uh, X, Y, Z. And Zelensky actually sounded positive, at least initially, to China's, what word am I looking for? advance there or China's involvement. I don't know if this will lead to a peace deal, but why is China open to doing this now? Well, I think it's because the end of the conflict is much more clear to people. I just saw a headline on Zero Hedge talking about how the Western powers behind closed doors are saying they've already lost. I think it's much more clear that the end of this conflict is near. So they aren't risking as much by getting involved, right? They're picking sides as it's basically over. Um, and also U.S. support is wavering, even though we have Biden going over there and Yellen going over, over there. There are back and forth within the deep state in the U.S. And we see this by the media in many instances turning on the Bidens and on the administration. Um, things slipping through like this Woody Harrelson thing on SNL that has gotten a lot of attention where he's talking about this uh, make-believe movie script that he wanted to do. And he like <laughs> described it exactly like COVID was. And he's like, yeah, but who would ever believe that? And so like these things are getting more and more in the open. There's the globalists are losing, the Biden specifically are losing and U.S. support is wavering. And I also saw another bar chart about the amount of money that different countries have sent to Ukraine. The U.S. has sent tens of billions, and I think the next closest country has sent like five billion or something. So it was, it's just way out of line here. And I think that that's why China is willing to get involved now, because they see all of those things happening. But also notice as soon as they say they want to get involved, uh, now it's become no longer a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy fact that this was a lab leak. So there's all sorts of different give and takes, pushes and pulls here going on geopolitically, but it's very, very interesting what's happening. So if I, I had a tweet this morning that the, the end of the Ukraine conflict is not priced in. Okay, so for the price section, I just have a weekly chart and I talk about that. Um, you know, if you want to get involved more with my actual price charting and, and predictions for the upcoming weeks, then uh, check out Bitcoin Market Pro and so go to bitcoinmarkets.com forward slash pro 50 to get 50% off the first month of that. And with that, you get at least one separate newsletter every week that is full of charts. I do at least a dozen charts on each issue. And uh, I want to write more about specific periods in time that I think are similar today. Like one period I want to cover coming up is the oil glut of the 1980s. So after the 70s, 
great inflation or whatever they call it, uh, went going into the 90s or going to, into the 80s, there was what's called an oil glut. So the demand was shrinking. Demand shrank like 20% globally during the early 80s. And it led to very stable oil prices for about 10 years. So anyway, I want to dig into that and write posts about those types of things and what we can apply to today from those other eras. Uh, that's on the Bitcoin Market Pro tier. If you go to bitcoinandmarkets.com, sign up to become a member. Okay, mining headlines I found. Um, don't really have much yet. Still going through the mining headlines. But one I saw was Montana Senate passes a bill protecting crypto miners or Bitcoin miners. This, of course, is from Coindesk, who are a bunch of crypto scammers. The quote here from the article, uh, the Montana State Senate passed a bill on Thursday protecting Bitcoin miners from a range of possible actions against the industry. The proposed law passed 37 to 13 in the Senate. So that wasn't even close, 37 to 13. And next we'll go to the state's house for its approval. The bill, so if it passed the Senate that much, you would think it's also going to pass the house. I mean, if it was a 50-50 sort of thing or 51-49, then it might not pass the house. But this looks to be like what? This is about 25-75. So um, that is most likely, I would say, it's going to pass the state's house of representatives. The bill protects at-home mining prevents discriminatory utility rates for miners, and stipulates that Bitcoin used as payment will not be subject to additional taxes. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. The legislation also takes power from local governments, preventing them from moving against at-home mining or retroactively zoning, using zoning laws to shut down active operations. So that's an interesting update. And that's all I have so far for this week. So check out BitcoinMarkets.com and make sure you sign up to be a free member over there. You get that Monday newsletter and you can check out the other tiers to support my work. Uh, before we go, let's take one quick look at price. So this morning it was looking very nice. It was actually up almost to 24000 again. It has held the 50-day so far. This red candle today, I mean, it, it's shaping up to be a down day, but early this morning it was looking very, very strong actually. Um, so we'll see how this ends up. The S&P 500 as well had a huge gap up, but it gapped up over the 50-day moving average, kind of flat on the day, but it, after that gap up. Uh, but very interesting what's going on with the stock market. Again, it's not showing super weakness or anything. You know, like big red days crashing. And if you just look at the macro headlines from people, we're headed towards the greatest recession not just the Great Recession again, or the Great Depression, but the greatest depression or the greatest recession. Um, th these calls are like, I mean, they, they remind me so much of gold bugs throughout you know, the last 20 years that I've been involved in sound money. And it's just always FUD, fear-mongering spread out there. But anyway, this is not looking super bearish to me. Again, it's back above the 50-day moving average. Bitcoin is above the 50-day moving average, looking strong. Again, if you look at back to the Bitcoin price, if you look at this chart and without knowing any of the headlines, you know, what do you think the headlines are in Bitcoin right now by looking at this chart? You would think they would be positive. You think there would be a ton of headlines printing, oh, Bitcoin is up. 
uh, 50% this year or whatever it is. What What is this up this year? Let's go back to this date. I mean, Bitcoin is still up 40% from January 1st. And the headlines are not super positive. The headlines are negative. Augustus Karsten is out fudding. You, you have people all over the, you know, coming out of the woodwork, fudding on Bitcoin. People think the macro situation is bearish. Yet Bitcoin is up 40% on the year. That's pretty big, guys. And most likely it's going to go higher. The halving is just a year away. Right around a year from now, we get the halving again. Bitcoin is was extremely oversold on the longer term time frames. I mean, 2022 was probably one of the most painful years to be a Bitcoin holder. Not because, you know, it completely collapsed, but there was just nothing could get traction. And we just had one, you know, crisis in the sector after another. It was extremely mentally draining. Yet Bitcoin is up 40% this year. Let's take a look at some other charts here real quick. Uh, dollar kind of broke out, but uh, is back in this formation right now. I'm probably one of only a handful of people that were calling a, for a bounce in the dollar. And we have gotten that. We still have not quite broken the swing high back from in January. Let's see what day was that. January 6th, it got up to 105 spot six. And now it only got up to 105 spot three. So not quite a new high, but it, it again is above the 50 day moving average and looking generally bullish, looking generally bullish. So we have the dollar and Bitcoin and stocks looking generally bullish. How about bonds? Bonds, everybody. So something has to be bearish, doesn't it? Doesn't something have to be bearish? Well, here's the 10 year. You can see that these two arrows down here are pointing to the last two rate hikes or the effect of the last two rate hikes. Of course, in December, they raised 50 basis points. Then in Fe on February 1st, pretty much at the bottom of this chart here, they raised 25 basis points. And we've had some sympathetic rallies. Are we going higher? I don't think so. I think the top is in. Uh, so the top was back here on... October 21st at 4.33% on the 10-year, and I think the top is in. This isn't necessarily super bullish, but, you know, this could easily turn around and also rally. That means rates go lower and prices of bonds go higher. So um, that would be everything. That would be stocks, bonds, the dollar, and Bitcoin all rallying together. How could that be? Well, guess what? They all fell together. I mean, the dollar didn't fall in 2022, but other than the dollar, they all fell together in 2022. It was the worst year, I think, in like 120 years for stocks and bonds. So they could both rally in 2023, and that would be way beyond expectation. I mean, no one would, no one is predicting that at all. So I think they will rally together up through the close to the end of Q3. And that's where I kind of am expecting some sort of repo rumble, some sort of financial plumbing issue, just because of the time of year, you know, end of the fiscal year for government, government contracts, um, 
many of the futures markets are based around the end of third quarter. And so that still has a lot of power in the system. And that tends to be when we have financial crises is around the end of the third quarter. So that's where I would say there could be something like the repo rumble. But again, the repo rumble, if you go back to 2019 and you look at the charts, the stock market charts and the interest rate charts and all that for 2019, you didn't have a big collapse in the markets. You just had a freezing of the repo system. And that was an existential financial crisis that kind of happened you know, behind the curtain. And the broader market was not aware of it. That can easily happen once again. So I go back to, I think we are, honestly, we're replaying 2019 right now. And so what does that leave? What is ahead in 2020? So 2024 would be uh, the 2020 to 2019. And I don't know. But if we do have a recession, I, I would put it off until 2024. There's going to be some sort of event that causes a, the next recession in 2024. It's not going to be in 2023. I think 2023 is going to be a very good year for investors. But anyway, I sound like a broken record on that. All right, guys. So this is the website, BitcoinAndMarkets.com. Thank you for joining me today. Check out that free weekly newsletter comes out every monday called the bitcoin fundamentals report and that's going to be it hope you guys have a good start to your week and i'll check you on the next one bye